Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Pastor Ben Dixon, and this is The Daily Word. Glad that you could join us. We go through books of the Bible chapter by chapter, and we are studying the book of Acts today. We're in Acts chapter 14, so grab a Bible, get comfortable. Let's go ahead and pray and open up the Bible to Acts 14. Father, we thank you today for your word, and God, we just pray that you would speak to us through the Holy Spirit. Help us to understand your word today. I pray that you would anoint your word, anoint our ears, open our hearts, and help us, Lord, to obey whatever it is in your word that we read. God, we want to please you with all that we say and do. We want to follow you in everything, and we ask in these confusing, in these difficult, and even sometimes these dark times, we pray that your light would shine brightly and we would lay hold of what you're doing. And so I thank you for everybody that's listening and watching. I pray you would bless and strengthen them, fill them with your Holy Spirit as we engage today for your glory. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Acts chapter 14. I'm just going to go ahead and open my Bible up to Acts 14. I use the New American Standard version. It's actually the 1995 New American Standard. There is a 1977 version. You may not know that, but uh, sometimes people ask me what Bible translation that I read from. I read and study from the New American Standard version. I love the Amplified version, and I have a 1984 NIV as well. Hey, I've been getting several questions about study Bibles, about commentaries, And let me just give you a recommendation before we jump into the Bible today. If you're saying, I want to take a next step in studying the Bible, but you haven't, let's just say you haven't been maybe deeply studying it more than reading and observing, and so you want to take the next step, I would say the next step is to get yourself an illustrated Holman Bible Dictionary. On Amazon, they're 25 bucks. It's a 1,400-page Bible dictionary. It has introductions and maps and comments on every book of the Bible, a great introduction, actually, for every book of the Bible, and it's got so much information that it would take you a long time to get through all of it, but that is a great next step. Sometimes people want to go straight to the commentary. I don't recommend that. The, the best commentaries are very expensive. I would prefer that folks use the online resources that we have available because you can get $5,000 worth of resources for about 50 bucks if you just use it online rather than purchase it. So that's what I do. I have all these online resources that I pull from. I don't use a lot of paper versions of any kinds of commentaries or books for the most part, but the next step is always going to be a great illustrated Holman Bible Dictionary. It's one of the best Bible dictionaries out there, and I can't even believe that it's $26 for a 1,400-page, well-done Bible dictionary. You'll love it, and it is a great next step. In fact, hey, it's Christmas season. You can send it through Amazon, or you can purchase it for yourself. I feel like I'm a salesman right now, and I'm not getting anything out of this, okay? I don't even have a website you can go to where I get a dollar out of the deal. I just really think it's that good. So you can buy it for somebody. You can send it to someone. I think it's a great gift. Anyways, we're in Acts chapter 14, and I didn't use the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary for today's study, but if that was my next step, that's what I would use. 
Acts chapter 14, we've been studying through the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, which began yesterday in Acts chapter 13. You might remember what we talked about. The Holy Spirit, through a prophet, spoke about Paul and Barnabas being set apart for their missionary journey, and they were sent out from Antioch, and they made their way through all the way to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, where they saw the governor and many, many people come to Christ. They had some opposition, but they saw the governor and many people come to Christ. After this, they traveled to another region, and uh, they experienced some fruit and some opposition, and they were driven out of that area as well. And it says in the last few verses of Acts chapter 13 that they, they shook the dust off their feet. And I believe they traveled 80 miles away to the, this place called Iconium, which is what we're going to read about today in Acts 14. So they've had some fruit. They've had some opposition. They're on their first missionary journey. It's an interesting one at that. And we're going to read more about how they were opposed and how they saw great fruit. So this is really going to be part of the message today as we read through Acts chapter 14. But here's what it says in Acts chapter 14 and verse 1. It says, in Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together, and they spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of the Jews and of the Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. This is really important because we continue to see that there was division even when people began to believe. And that really is something that happens when the gospel is preached clearly by those that are seeking to spread the word of God. Verse three, therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who is testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and they fled to the cities, uh, the cities of Lycania, Lycania, Lystra and Derby, and the surrounding region, and they were continued. They continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra, a man sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke. Who, when he had fixed his gaze on him, he had seen that he had faith to be made well, and said with a loud voice, "Stand upright on your feet." And he leaped up and he began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the uh, Lycanian language, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but I didn't check with uh, my translator today. The gods have become like men and they have come down to us. This was their response to seeing this guy supernaturally healed. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes but he was the ch- because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things or these idols to a living God who has made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without a witness, in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, 
they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, probably praying, he got up and entered the city. The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derby. Can you imagine this happening? They thought he was dead. He just gets up and goes to preach the gospel again. After they had preached the gospel to that city, they had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and then to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they have believed. They passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time there with the disciples. And this is interesting because this full circle concludes the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And at some point during Acts chapter 14, John Mark or Acts chapter 13, John Mark heads in another direction, and we read about that later when Paul makes a comment about John Mark, which is not too positive. So here we are entering into Acts chapter 14. We know that Paul and Barnabas had left another region, and they had been rejected, as, and that's what sent them into this place called Iconium. And it's very important for us to realize that this was a, quite a journey, 80 miles away from where they were. And it's sort of like, um, I mean, the, the rugged nature of their travel and getting from one place to another, you just got to imagine what they had to go through in order to get the gospel to all these different people in all these various cities. It was taxing on them physically. It was harmful emotionally. I mean, spiritually, they were probably spent, but they needed and they had the Lord ministering to them, strengthening them. And we need to be reminded of that, that as we go through whatever we go through to get bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus, he will strengthen us. He will give us all that we need. He constantly does that here in the scriptures as we read about the missionary journeys of Paul, as we read about the direct disciples of Jesus and the disciples of the disciples and how they gave their lives. They literally gave their lives, not just in death, but their living, their day in and their day out. They gave it to Jesus to be used for his purposes. And we see that in this story and this account of what's going on. So here's what it says in verse one. We just sort of circle back. In Iconium, they entered a synagogue of the Jews together. This was their custom. They're gonna go first and speak to the Jews, God's first covenant people. And this also was where they were most comfortable to be able to speak to them about the gospel. They had the Old Testament understanding. They had a moral compass in the law. And so they could speak from the Old Testament. New Testament hadn't been written. And so they're living it out at this point. They're speaking to them about the Old Testament, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies found in the Old Testament. The Messiah that they're waiting for, longing for, is none other than Jesus the Christ. And so they're seeking to convince the Jews, specifically the Greek proselytes, in the synagogue. And then as a result of that, after speaking to the Jews, they go and speak to the Gentiles. And it says this, they spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both Jews 
and Greeks. Park right there just for a moment. Let me just say, not all of us are going to be these uh, well-known evangelists. Not all of us are preachers. Uh, Not all of us are formal or vocational pastors, but all of us can talk about Jesus. All of us can tell someone about Jesus in some way, whoever you are and however you are. Every now and again, I'll have a, I might call it a complaint, but I'll have a bit of an indictment because I want to really exhort the people of God to talk about Jesus. And I'm doing that not because I think everybody's going to do it the same way. I'm doing that not because I think everybody should do it on a pulpit or preach a message to a large group of people. Maybe we'll lead one person to Christ in our whole life. That's really not the issue. The issue is, are we willing to talk about Jesus with people? however imperfect it might be. So I'm usually that person that exhorts people to talk to others about Christ because in our generation, statistics tell us 11 to 16% of people who profess to be Christians are those that actually ever share about their faith with others. Now, just think about that for a minute. If 15% of all Christians talk about Jesus to people, that is not enough and that will not get the job done. So the way I read the scripture is that no matter who we are, no matter what our influence is, no matter what we do in life, our life is to be given to Jesus as missionaries in this world to bring people to Jesus and Jesus to people. No matter how many people those are, that will be, no matter how many people will listen to us, but our life is given for that. It's to live our life to make Jesus known. And so that's what we're all about. What we see here is they had a fruitfulness. When the word is shared, there is fruitfulness, and we need to remember that. Their fruitfulness might might be more than ours, but if the word is shared, something happens. That's what we need to know. That's the principle here. If they didn't share, nothing would happen. And so an argument from silence does not work. A person cannot tell me, hey, Ben, well, when I share, nothing really like this happens. Well, when's the last time that you shared? How often do you share? See, we've got to challenge ourselves. We've got to push back in the culture that we're in that's trying to silence us. And you're going to see that. The demonic opposition that sometimes is not that clear and apparent in Scripture is that there's this constant silencing that's trying to happen. That's what we find when the opposition rises up. It's that cancel culture. It's stop talking. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop saying anything. You can do nice things. You can be benefactors. You can, you can give us, or you can be the, benefic- the benefactors. You can give us money. You can tell us nice things. You can encourage us. Don't talk to us about Jesus. The ultimate cancel culture is found against Christ in his message. And we've got to remember that. So it's not about us being these well-known evangelists. It's about us being missionaries. We have a message. We have a message that changes lives. We have a message that delivers people. We have a message that brings healing. We have a message that brings true reconciliation. And I hate to say this to you, but it is the truth that if we're going to share it, there is not always going to be this great reception on the other end. Sometimes we are going to get opposition. But the first thing that we notice is that they did have people that believed, and so will we. But the Jews, verse 2, who disbelieved, stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. And there it is. You got people that receive the gospel. You got people that resist the gospel. And this is going to happen whenever the gospel is preached. We've got to remember this. Not everybody wants Jesus. Not everybody's going to respond to Jesus. Some people are going to resist Jesus. And so we shouldn't take that as ineffective, unfruitful ministry. We should understand that that is 
part of what happens is you do gonna, you're going to get people that are receptive and you're going to get people that will oppose. They had this and they have this throughout their missionary journeys, both the first, second, and the third, which Acts records. Verse three, therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting them signs, wonders be done by their hands. Now, this is amazing. Look at verse four, but the people of the city were divided and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. I just want to say it like this. They did not flee initially. So they got people that believe, people that resist, and they didn't run. That's really important. Just because there were people that didn't agree, didn't believe, and even people that tried to stir up opposition just because that happened did not mean that the Paul and Barnabas were going to go. They said, okay, well, we still have favor here because there are some that believe. So they started to rely upon the Lord. What does that mean? They really had to trust in the Lord to not only share the gospel, but to actually see signs, wonders, and miracles happen that would affirm the message that they were preaching. They're preaching about a resurrected man. They're preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. They're preaching that there is found healing in his name. There is deliverance in his name. There is regeneration and newness of life in his name. They needed God to come through. We need God to come through. And so they relied upon the Lord, and the Lord came through with the power of the Holy Spirit that signs, wonders, and miracles happened and affirmed their preaching. And that still wasn't enough. Oh my gosh, it still wasn't enough. And we've got to remember, we can have miracles flowing and going, and it does not mean that every person that sees a miracle is going to believe. Some will believe, but some may not believe. But what we know is they didn't stop just because people didn't believe, just because people even opposed them. They didn't stop. They kept going. And that's the resiliency of the people of God. You and I've got to remember, rejection is part of the game. People resisting the gospel is part of the game. We don't take it personally. We understand it's coming. If we're going to be engaged in the purposes of God, it's part of what happens. But we're not looking at those who resist. We're waiting and hoping and believing for those that receive. And God will attest the message of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. Signs, wonders, and miracles will happen, and some will see that and realize that he is powerful. He is all-powerful. This message is true, but some will see that, and it still is not enough. Can you believe that? It's still not enough, but that is a biblical fact, and that's a historical fact. People have resisted no matter what kind of miracle was produced. We see that in the Old Testament, and we see it in the New. Verse 6, we see that the or verse five, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone Paul and Barnabas, they became aware of it and they fled to the cities of Lycania, Lystra, Derby, and the surrounding region, and then they continued to share the gospel. So they were made aware of basically the, an attempt of murder. They were going to get martyred, murdered for their faith because people wanted to silence them. People wanted to stop them in the most extreme ways. They learned about this plan and they said, we're out. It was at the point of death when they were out. They were like, God still has more for us to do, so we've got we've to flee, and they moved on to the next city. Isn't that amazing? The opposition wasn't enough for them to go. The people that resisted were not, it was not enough for them to go. Some stirring up the rest of the people in the city was not enough for them to go. So the, there was an intense opposition. There was, I'm sure they had all kinds of fears that they were tempted to own, 
And yet that wasn't enough. But when they learned that their life was about to be taken, there were plans that were being acted and somebody tried it. When they learned about that, I'm sure they were praying about it. And God said, go. And that's what they did. They, fl- they, were, they didn't flee out of fear. They fled out of purpose. And that's really important. And you know that because they endured so much to this point already and they were clearly giving their lives. So they were obviously willing to give the fullness of their life because that's what they're going through right now. But isn't that amazing just to stop and say, wow. I mean, that is a gospel witness for people to stand and to be resilient and to still share the gospel when the ultimate cancel culture that leads to death is at their door. And can I just tell you, we're not quite living in that extreme um, in America, in this nation, but you know what? It can get there. I don't pray. I pray that doesn't happen, but the reality is, is that our call is to preach the gospel. Our call is to share about Jesus, and and maybe that's going to get to the point where people are going to say, don't do that. We're still going to do it, and then these kinds of things could even happen. It happens in other nations of the world. Many people are martyred for their faith all over the world every year, and we want to join our hearts with our brothers and sisters and every nation of the earth that are being mistreated, that our lives are being taken for the faith. We just want to join our hearts with them in prayer, but we recognize that that doesn't mean, just because it isn't happening here in America, doesn't mean it won't. And so we just want to prepare ourselves for Jesus. We want to prepare ourselves, no matter what may come our way, that we are willing to stand for him and for his good news because it is what saves people's lives. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, it says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and the Greek. It is the power of God. So we've got to make sure that people understand the gospel. And in our life, God has given us influence and a platform to be able to do that, no matter how small or great. So they flee, um, and they're at Lystra, verse 8. Uh, At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet. He was lame from birth. He had never walked. He was listening to Paul as he spoke, who when he had fixed his gaze on him, he caught his eye and he had seen the faith to be made well. Somehow Paul could look at him and he saw faith to be made well. There was faith in him. Isn't that interesting? It's something you can see. There's an expectation in this man that something powerful can occur and my lame feet can be strengthened. And look what happens. It says with a loud voice, Paul says, stand to your feet. And he leaped up and he began to walk. Now we're talking about, I mean, uh, a, a regeneration here. This is a creative miracle. When your feet have been lame since birth, and let's just say you're 20, let's say you're 15 even. And you, you, I mean, you're talking about muscle. We're talking about bone mass that's missing. He doesn't have any of that. So God supernaturally regenerates this bone mass, this muscle that's needed for him to walk. And it doesn't just say he walks. It says that he's leaping. Oh my gosh. Listen, this happened. This is not fiction. This is nonfiction. This really did happen. And God has the power to do creative miracles, not just to make somebody feel a little better, not just to make someone's headache to go away, but he can actually regenerate whatever is not there in order to have somebody leap that wasn't walking for the last 15, 20 years. That's the God that we serve. He's he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still healing bodies that are sick and broken, but we've got to be believing that God still does that and praying for those that are suffering and struggling. 
It says, when the crowd saw Paul had done this, they raised their voices saying in their language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes. That was a Jewish expression, like kind of a revulsion of uh, blasphemy. That's, what, that's why they would do that. You'll see if you've ever watched like any um, depictions of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, um, the book of Matthew, or you've watched um, their different uh, movies out there, and you'll see people tear their robes. It was a Jewish expression when blasphemy occurred, and so that's what they're doing. They're pushing back against blasphemy. They rip their robes, and they rush into the crowd, and they say, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. We preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things, these idols, to a living God and they go on to share that. Verse 18, even saying these things with difficulty, they restrain the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. What do we see? In this city, there's about 2,000 people. And so they would all have known, or many of them would know this lame man. When they see this lame man get healed, they, I mean, they kind of went crazy. They thought this has got to be from the gods. These have to be the gods that have come down to us. Now, there's sort of some folklore about this city that uh, the god Zeus and uh, companions had visited this city before, but their ancestors did not invite them into their homes. And as a result of that, there was a judgment that was released, and that was a, a flood that caused many in the city to drown. And this was sort of this folklore. This was how they interpreted the history of this city, that it was because they didn't welcome the gods that had come down to men that they experienced this judgment. And so now they have Paul and Barnabas, and they see this great miracle occur. And so based on their historical thought, they are like, we're going to receive them. We're going to worship them because people are designed to worship something. And so they're going to worship them thinking that they're Zeus and Hermes when they're not. But they're like, we're not going to be like our ancestors. We're not going to have judgment released to us. And so that's the backdrop of even why they quickly moved into this type of worship. And Paul and Barnabas are freaked out. There's no way they want to allow them to worship them. And so it says, with great restraint and trouble, they tried to stop them from doing so, and they actually were successful. But that didn't sit right with these people because they thought they must do this, okay? So now Paul and Barnabas have a pretty serious issue on their hands because the folks are getting overtaken with, what the, with the miracle that occurred rather than the message that is being preached. And so it puts them in a predicament. And so here's what happens after that. The Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, some 20 miles, some 80 miles away. Their opposers follow them 80 miles on foot, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. There are opposers from other cities. Part of the reason they left these other cities, they were not satisfied with just them leaving. They were like, we've got to fully silence, really put them to death. So they chase them. They find them. They see the crowds are a little bit distraught because of what Paul and Barnabas had to do to restrain them from offering sacrifices. And so they win the crowd over enough so that they can stone Paul. Well, why'd they stone Paul and not Barnabas? Because Paul was the one that was preaching. They figured if we can silence the voice, then this message will not be spread. That is a satanic 
plot in order to get the gospel to stop being preached. Here's Satan's ploy, the demonic powers that exist that are against the church, that are against Christ, that are against God. They, in my opinion, they have a threefold plan. The first one is they want to stop people from giving their lives to Jesus. The second, if they can't do that, they want to stop people from becoming like Jesus. Okay, fine. You can, you're a Christian now. We can't stop that. But as long as we can render your life in Christ, the growth of your life ineffective, you'll never do any, anything for God anyways. You'll never be a good example. You'll never do good works, and you'll never share good news. And if we can stop you from growing in Christ, we can stop you from being like Christ. And ultimately, because the third part of, I believe, the satanic plan is to stop people from sharing about Christ. Okay, the way that we win the world over to Christ is we do good works, we have a good example, it's the way our life is, and we share good news. It's not just good works, it's not just a good example, but it also is good news. Good, good, good. These things cause people to see Christ, they cause people to hear about Christ, and they cause people to receive from Christ through the body of Christ. When that happens, people give their lives to Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. Most of you watching have given your life to Jesus. And so the enemy wants to stop us from coming to Christ, growing in Christ, and sharing about Christ. And that's why they tried to kill Paul. If we can silence the voice, we can silence the, stop the spread. If we can silence the voice, we can stop the spread. This is the ultimate cancel culture toward the Christians and toward the church. And we've got to be mindful of it. We've got to resist it. We've got to be resilient in the midst of it because no matter when it comes or how it comes, we've got to be ready to take a stand for Jesus. Now, there are some fights in our world that are not worth fighting, but this one is a fight worth fighting. We will not stop speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. We're willing to give our lives to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God. Paul literally at this point practically gives his life. They stone him. They drag him out of the city. They think he's dead, but look what happens. While the disciples stood around him, and I believe they were praying, he got up. <laughs> I just don't even know what that would look like, but to me, it sounds kind of funny. We should, we should have some kind of play or drama at church sometime where Paul just stands up, and then he goes into the city, and he just preaches the gospel. I mean, it's pretty awesome. He's stoned. He's dragged out of the city. He gets up, and it says, the next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derby, and after that, they preached the gospel to the city, and they made many disciples, right? Listen, you cannot stop the gospel of Jesus. One thing we've learned from the book of Acts is every time uh, the opposition comes, what the enemy meant for evil, God turns it around for good. And this is a statement that came to me while I was journaling just the other day. It's that the devil may be, the devil may be the one that built the cross of Christ, but it was the father that told Jesus to go and die on it. You understand, see, the enemy's got a plan, but God always turns the plan of the enemy into good. The enemy comes to oppose, and God turns that around, and the gospel gets spread. The enemy tries to get all of the people out of the city, and all he does is scatter the people of God into other cities where the gospel gets spread. One thing we have surely seen from the book of Acts is that what the enemy means for evil God turns in for good. That's not just some catchy tune, some cool song. That's reality, friends. That's the book of Acts. That's what Jesus does. 
That's what the power of the Holy Spirit through the church of God can do and is doing in our times as well. It's very powerful. And we see it in the life of Paul and Barnabas again and again. When they go and they start making disciples as they're in Derby, it says that they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. And this is just a passage to tell us like as they traveled back to Antioch to close out their first missionary journey, they were strengthening people that had come to Christ all the way back. And they still had these folks that were opposing them. They still had this demonic assignment against them that was being manifested through people that couldn't perceive that this was very demonic. But this is what their message became. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Isn't that interesting? They're going through all kinds of hell. I mean, really, they're going through all kinds of horrible situations. And their message was not just come to Christ and he'll give you everything you ever wanted. Their message was through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. They truly prepared the people to receive Jesus, have the transformation of their heart. Their life would be radically changed, but that did not mean that life was going to get easier. In fact, they prepared people and said, through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom. I think that's something we've got to pause and say, look, sometimes the gospel gets preached in our day and in our age, and it's all about this happy, everything's going to work out for you, come to Jesus and be perfect, and everything will, you know, relationships will be restored, your body will never get sick, your wallets and your purses will always have money in them, even if you don't work, you know, I mean, it's just crazy, I mean, and it goes even worse, it, it gets worse than that, you know, I mean, I've heard people say all kinds of things. Here's what we know, God's our source, he provides for us, whether that's, uh, an abundance or whether that's enough. God provides for us. God's our healer. He takes care of us. He heals us. He touches our bodies, but he also does that eternally. But we can expect that God heals and he, he, it's who he is. It's so obviously it's what he does. We know these, this is who God is. We know it's what he does. But when it gets perverted, it becomes this message to make people feel like if you come to Christ, this is sort of the, the, the better way to live in the flesh but it's not really an internal perspective. It's, it's not aware of a satanic assignment or a demonic, demonic powers to oppose the truth. It doesn't acknowledge the war that's going on in the heavens or the war that's going on in the earth. It doesn't acknowledge any of that. And so people get disillusioned when they hear this kind of a message that has no tribulation or difficulty attached to it. Life is hard no matter what. And so to oversell things in this life when folks come to Christ is a profound disservice and probably setting folks up for disillusionment, which is why I think that we have to check and filter and discern through many of the messages that are preached today because what it's doing is setting up people to see God the wrong way. And I think sometimes people walk away from God not because of just a tragedy in their life, but it's that they were told something about God, and then when they walk through difficulty and tragedy, they find that what they were told is not true. But I would argue that it's not just what they were told isn't true. It's not, it, it, it's not that God is that way, or it's that God isn't who His Word says. It's actually that what they were told about God, what they assumed about God, what they heard about God is not actually true. And so rather than receiving from the word and getting into the word and knowing God better and walking with him closely, 
Instead of doing that, they relied upon these messages that made them feel better and made them feel good. And listen, I'm not trying to knock everybody, but I am saying I've talked to too many people at this point in my life to think anything different. I know that there is so much that it gets said to people to make them feel like they can have their cake and eat it too and nothing bad's gonna happen to me and all of that. That's not true. The Bible says it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous, meaning that difficulty comes to everybody. But when you come to Christ, there is tribulation. There is difficulty. There is a satanic assignment against the people of God. First, to stop us from coming to Christ. If you can't win that fight, the demonic spirits can't win that stop us from growing in Christ. And if we're going to be growing in Christ, stop us from sharing about Christ. I wanted to pause and take a moment and say, this is Paul's experience. This is Barnabas's experience. This is the missionary's experience across the world. And this is every Christian's experience that lives their life in a way that is unashamed of the gospel. You don't have to be brash or brazen. You don't have to be a Bible thumper. You just have to be exactly who you are. If you're a Christian that's not ashamed, you are going to experience suffering. You're going to experience persecution. You're going to experience some level of tribulation, some more than others. And Paul and Barnabas prepared the people of God for that. They talked to them about it. They taught them about it. And they showed them that by the experience of their own life, this is what they themselves walk through. And I want to do the same for you today. I want to tell you, coming to Christ is the best decision that we can make. Knowing Jesus is something that it meets the need of our life eternally, not just temporarily. He satisfies what we're longing for. He gives us everything that we're looking for because he created us to begin with. God, through Christ, meets the needs of every man and every woman that receives him, both now and eternally. However, we are in a conflict, we are in a war, and there are demon powers that are set against this message going to all people. And we've got to realize that when we come to Christ, there is something that's going to oppose us, and it will come through people. Now again, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood. And so those that are opposing us, they are unwitting vessels for the enemy. They do not know that these thoughts that they're manifesting, these things that they're saying, they don't know that that's from the enemy. They don't know it's satanic. They don't understand that. And so we can't demonize people. We realize we're reaching people. But there's an assignment that's out there that manifests through people in opposition to the gospel. But we've got to be resilient that even when opposition comes, we don't shrink back, we don't stop, we don't fold, we don't crumble under the pressure, but instead we do what they did. We rely upon the Lord. Sometimes people will say, well, why don't we see healing signs, wonders, and miracles? Well, there's these little verses in the Bible that show us that signs, wonders, and miracles are at the tail end of people like this who are giving their lives to Jesus that are relying upon the Lord. If we place ourselves into this posture of relying upon God, God will come through. God will come through. That's the truth. And we just got to place ourselves in that posture. Lord, we rely upon you. We, we open our mouths, we share, we give our lives to what Jesus is calling us to. And as we're out there, on the, on, in that place where we're supposed to be, God will come through. He'll meet us in our faith. He'll meet us in that place of need. He'll meet us as we're serving and obeying him. He always does, and he always will. And even people that tried to kill Paul couldn't even kill him. I mean, that's amazing. He's like, this guy, he's so resilient. I mean, both 
um, spiritually, emotionally, but physically. I mean, I don't know what his body looked like after he got stoned. I'm not laughing, but it's almost like I don't know what he looked like if he was preaching with a mangled face or whatever. I have no clue, but man, it's like he just didn't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. He just kept going. And I want to be like Paul, and I want to be like Paul filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what I want to be. And I want to encourage you. It's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God, and that does not mean that we're not doing what we're supposed to. In fact, many times it means that we are doing what we're supposed to. And I want to encourage you that no matter if you're suffering, struggling, or, or walking through difficulty, He is with you. God is with you. And He wants to comfort you. He wants to fill you with His peace and His presence and His joy, especially in this Christmas season. It's been difficult for many of us, but God can give us what the world can't give us. God can give us what our job can't give us. God can give us what our relationships can't give us. God can give us everything that we need and what we're looking for. And let me just go ahead and stop here and pray as we close that the Lord would be our source in this season particularly, that God would be our source. So we turn our eyes, we turn our hearts from any other source and we lay hold of Jesus who is our source for all things. Let me pray for you and then, we'll, um, and then we'll go. Father, we thank you today that you're our source. Father, we thank you for the example of Paul and Barnabas, that as they followed you into all kinds of unknown regions and cities and places and they were mistreated, they were abused, and even people sought to put them to death. It was the satanic assignment against their life. We see the resiliency and you put that in them. You caused them to be strong and steadfast. And I pray over every one of us that we would be strong and that we would be steadfast in your purposes. So Father, I pray for everyone watching or listening. Would you strengthen us? Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit? Would you cause us to not receive opposition as some kind of punishment or penalty or thinking that we're doing something wrong, but really we understand there's a war and there's a lot at stake. And so I pray that you'd make us even more strong knowing that. But if we're suffering or we're struggling, Lord, during this season, I ask, Lord, that joy would be released. I ask that peace would be released, that your love would be revealed, that your affection would be made known, that we would walk with you with intimacy and with passion in this season. I pray for your blessing on each one of us. We thank you today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.